All About You is a memoir. I have tried to recreate events, locales, and conversations from my memories of them. In order to maintain their anonymity in some instances, I have changed the names of individuals and places. I may have changed some identifying characteristics and details, such as physical properties, occupations, and places of residence. Chapter 25. Road Trip. I decided to take out a personal ad in newspapers across the state. Not knowing where my birth mother might be living now, I thought she might see my ad and contact me. The ad ran for one month, only on weekends. It read, Are you my mother? I was born in Charleston, South Carolina on February 29, 1968 and put up for adoption. I would like to meet you on your terms and with respect to your privacy. I listed a post office box for my address, and I checked the box daily. I got exactly two letters. One was from the son of a woman who had given up a child in Charleston around that time. The dates were not right, and the details didn't really match up. Not my mother. The other was from an inmate at our maximum security prison who thought maybe we could start writing letters, and I could send him a picture, and maybe we could have sex one day. Definitely not my mother. Nothing ever came of my personal ad, and I let my post office box rental expire, along with my hopes. I joined a local mother's group. We would get together several times a week to let our children play. This was such a fun time for me and the kids, and it was delightful to have support from women with children the same ages as mine. I found myself once again telling my story to new friends and a new audience. It was the easy segue from, look how much your children look like you. Who do you all take after, your mother or your father? It always seemed that when a new group of people heard this story, they all got swept up in the excitement of helping me look for my mother. Everyone thought he or she had something to contribute, but one really did. Carol was fascinated by my tale. And by this point, I had so much to add, the documents and the story behind them. Carol told me that she was from the upstate, and she knew the high school my mother probably attended, and even a popular fancy gift shop that had been around since the 1950s. She would be happy to go with me one day and help me get around. The road trip was planned. I spent the entire night before so excited I could barely sleep. I devoted my insomnia to making an 80s mix playlist for the car's CD player. We were so full of enthusiasm and excitement, nervous laughter, and what-if conversations filled the three-hour drive, the drive for answers. We were so naive. We had no idea of the scope of what could lie before us. We didn't care. We were full in love of the chase. Our first stop, the high school. Our plan was painfully simple. Get the yearbook from 1968, my birth mother's senior year, and look at every picture until we found the girl that looked exactly like me. How hard could that be? Surely her image would jump off the page. We would be done by lunch. Even the school librarian got swept up in our frenzy. She led us to a private room with a copy machine and the yearbook and eagerly offered to help. It was a large graduating class, and the task ended up being rather daunting. By the H's, we were thinking this wasn't going to be as easy as we had hoped. Our enthusiasm dimmed, but only a little. There were plenty of girls that might, a little bit, maybe, 
look like me. Our task was made more difficult because the photos were black and white. This was going to require more time and effort than we actually had, so we decided to Xerox every page for future reference. We limited our copies to only the pages with possible candidates because the machine took nickels, and we only had so many. Only brunettes would do. I decided that the list of senior superlatives would help us for several reasons. I had been a senior superlative, most talented, thank you, and perhaps she was one. Also, I couldn't help but think that if any of the women in all the high school had gotten themselves pregnant just years before graduation, the girl voted most popular probably knew who it was. Good gossip like that wasn't going to slip past Miss Popular's pretty little ears, now would it? I also checked out the back of the yearbook for ads sections. Maybe some of the candids back there would have captured her in a relaxed moment, laughing with friends, books clutched to her chest, wearing a pink lady's jacket. It was there that I hit what I thought was the jackpot. On page 120 was a quarter-page ad for Ziegler's Fine Gifts, and in it was a photograph of a young brunette working behind the counter, smiling and pretending to be showing a customer a piece of fine jewelry. We were floored. This could be her. Could we be lucky enough to have found her on our first stop? We squealed with delight and jumped up and down with pleasure. This precious Xerox copy was taken to our next stop, Ziegler's Fine Gifts. We discovered the most charming little downtown, and Ziegler's was one of the shops lining the main street, so we walked in with our Xerox copy in hand. Inside were displays of beautiful china, shelves of exquisite porcelain, and glass cases filled with very expensive jewelry. I imagined how much fun this job must have been for my birth mother, working around all these pretty pieces. I pictured her gazing over the engagement ring case, wondering which one might be hers one day. Then it hit me. Carol, I reached for her hand. My mother has been here. She touched that door. She stood on this very spot. This is the first time in my life when I know I am somewhere she has been. Oh, Liz, she said, squeezing my hand. You say it like she was here just ten minutes ago. As far as I was concerned, it could have been. That's how close I felt to finding her. I knew that at any minute I would feel her like a cool mist that brushes past you on a warm summer day. We asked for the manager and explained our unusual mission to him. We tried to be as delicate as possible. This town might be as close a community as Charleston, and while we were desperate for information, we did not want people on their guard. We stuck to my usual ruse that we were researching a family tree and had a mystery relative we would love to connect with. The manager took one look at the picture and said he sure knew who that girl was. She was still living in this town and had married, and he gave us her name score. Full of nervous energy and excitement, Carol and I talked about our next move over lunch. What should we do with this information? It was a long shot, but we hadn't come all this way to not take every chance we could. What if we were right? What if we called her and she was so happy to hear from me that she insisted we come over immediately and meet? To have the reunion I had dreamed of, the long, tight hug, the tears, the long-awaited acceptance. We see each other for the first time. Our eyes lock, and we stand frozen for just a moment, taking each other in, noticing the similarities. 
feeling the emotion that has brought us to the same place and the same time. We both tear up, and then she reaches her arms out to me. We hug. We cry. The hug lasts a long time. When we finally pull apart, we look at each other again and laugh. (laughs) How happy we are to be together, and oh, what a mess we are, all these tears. She takes my hand and leads me to the sofa and hands me a tissue. She tells me how happy she is to see me and how long she has waited for this day, how she always wanted to find me but didn't know how, how grateful she is that we are finally together. The decision was made. We called her right away, just in case. We thought we had chosen a good time of day to call. We assumed she was a housewife and would be home alone. Dancing through the house, in her perfectly pressed dress, half-apron around her waist, preparing for her husband's return from his job at the bank, roast in the crock-pot, bluebirds fluttering around her. We didn't want to have an audience. We believed that if she had harbored this secret for all these years, her husband might not know. Her children might not know. I did not want to expose her past like this. So I pulled my red flip phone out of my bag, and while we were sitting on the sidewalk outside Ziegler's in this charming South Carolina town, I called her. She was home. I was lightheaded with nervousness. I was a 33-year-old woman, hearing what could be my mother's voice for the first time. I wanted to approach her gently. I told her who I was and that I had come to town to solve a mystery. I was an adopted child, born in February 29, 1968, and I was looking for my birth mother. I knew that she was a graduate of the local high school and that she worked for Ziegler's. I had seen her in an ad for the store and wondered if she could help me. You see, I added, you look a lot like me. I laughed with the jitters building inside of me. She denied it vehemently, assuring me that she was sympathetic to my cause, and if she could have helped me, she would have. But no, that was not her story. She did work for Ziegler's, and she had forgotten all about that picture. But it was not her. She wasn't even the right age. She was two years younger than my mother. Brick wall. I thanked her and hung up. Carol and I were crestfallen as I recounted the conversation. The more we talked about it, the more we became frustrated that I hadn't asked her the names of the other girls she might have known that could have been involved in a story like this one. We should have tried to get more information from her. We shouldn't have given up so easily. We had come so far. So I called back and apologized for being pushy, but this was something I had always dreamed of. We talked more about her fellow employees. She told me she was only there briefly for one summer, and she didn't know any of the girls that this might have happened to. She was very sweet, and I could tell she wished she could give me some helpful information. It was then, speaking freely and in a friendly way, that I remembered to ask about Miss Popular. I asked her if she knew this girl in school and where she might be today. She laughed at my theory that if anyone would know the school secrets, it would be her, but she thought it was a great idea. She knew Miss Popular. She gave me her current name and told me she was living in Atlanta, Georgia. I thanked her, feeling revived. We had another puzzle piece. Where would it fit? I waited anxiously as the phone rang in Atlanta. As luck would have it, Miss Popular answered. This was an easier phone call to make. I was not nervous about her being my birth mother, so I appealed to her woman to woman. I told her my story, letting her know that I wanted to be very discreet. As far as I knew, my mother kept this a secret, 
and I wanted her to know that I was looking for her. I asked Miss Popular if she knew a classmate that this might have happened to, and she said, Yes, I know someone that went through this, but let me ask you, why do you think she would want you to find her now? Do you think this is something she would want? This was an unexpected question. I stopped in my tracks for a moment, but then I remembered my non-identifying information. Yes, I said, I believe she was very sad about having to give me up. I think she would want to meet me now and know everything turned out all right. Miss Popular took this into consideration. She told me that she was not comfortable giving me a name, but she'd make a phone call on my behalf to see if she could help. We returned home giddy with excitement and proud of all that we were able to accomplish in one day. Why had I waited so long to do this? Days from now, I might know who my birth mother was. This was more than I ever dreamed was possible, and I was elated. I dropped Carol off late that night, 80s music still ringing in our ears, traces of laughter fading with exhaustion. I thanked her for indulging me all day. She looked at me and said, Liz, you have never given up. You deserve this. If anyone can do the impossible, it will be you. I know you're going to do it. Chapter 26 On the Road Again My father loved to buy older cars. There were many days my dad would pull up after work with some jalopy or other. My favorite was the 1976 Sunshine Yellow Volkswagen Beetle. I heard this car drive up before I saw it, its engine drumming down the road like the beating of a thousand insect wings. He was so proud of this latest purchase. I remember him beaming as he walked all around the car, showing it off to my brother and me, damn near kicking the tires. The inside smelled of plastic and leather, and the floor mats had cartoon beetles on them. It was the car I learned to drive a stick shift in. Not long after this purchase, Dad announced he would like to drive up to Conway, South Carolina, and visit some of his butler relatives. I had never heard of these butlers before. We really didn't spend a lot of time with Dad's family aside from his sister, Elizabeth, so it was an odd request. Mom told him immediately that she had no intention of going up there and spending the entire day shuffled from house to house talking to people she barely knew. I don't think he even asked my brother, who was well on his way to building the hard rock island around his solitary lighthouse. I was 12, so there were 4,327 other things I would have rather done, but when I looked at Dad, I felt sorry for him. No one wanted to hang out with him, so I said I would go. We took off on a fall Sunday morning. Daddy felt it was necessary to regale me with an inventory of his family tree so that I would better understand who these butlers were and how they were related to us. Family names like Virgie, Earlene, Coke, Eulame, and Zarko peppered the conversation. I wrinkled my nose at what I considered country bumpkin names. Dad was undeterred. And then there was Pink. She was Bunny's sister. Daddy, this is crazy. Who names their daughter Pink? Dad feigned indignation. Look here, Elizabeth. I'm ashamed of you. Pink is a perfectly fine name. I looked at him with my arms crossed. Well, Pink was their eighth child, so maybe they just gave up. When I was pregnant with my fourth child, I had a list of names a mile long for a third girl. Pink was not one of them, and absolutely nothing on the boy list. So, of course, we learned we were having a boy. 
I recalled this road trip conversation with Daddy as I shared the good news with him about his next grandson. I told him I wasn't sure if there were any good candidates for names from his side of the family, and we laughed at the shared memory. Well, Dad mockingly suggested, I already have a grandson named John. Maybe you could use my middle name, McCager. Oh, John, my mom piped in, left out of the joke. McCager is the name of a little country boy living on a farm. Mom, I said, that is so rude. That is your husband's fine family name you're making fun of. Please try to have some politeness. Dad laughed, loving to tease my mother. Well, anyway, she said. As it turned out, I did not choose the name McCager for my newborn son. But if I had had any idea that just 15 days after my son's birth, my daddy would be dead, you can bet your last bottom dollar I would have. When we got to Conway and drove up to one of Dad's cousin's houses, I had no idea what to expect. The door opened, and Dad was scooped into a hug by a larger woman who seemed to be about his age. We were then pulled into the home. Lots of folks were there to say hi and catch up. Everyone came to me and embraced me in big, warm hugs. We were not huggers. I didn't hug anyone on Mom's side of the family, and this kind of affection was foreign to me. Clearly, my discomfort showed in my body language because one of the ladies gabbed next to me and said, Come on, sweet girl, we are butlers. We are huggers. No, we aren't, I thought. I remember looking at Dad and seeing him hug his way around the room and thinking how odd it was that I had never really seen my dad hug anyone before, not even my mother. I was 12. I had been raised without a hug. The ride home was a little quieter than the ride there, with nothing good on the radio apart from the football game, and that had Dad's attention. I wanted to say something about the hugging. I wanted to say that it was really nice to meet his family. I was lost in thought about how to broach this difficult subject when a big, fat bug splattered across our windshield and startled us both. We laughed at our own shock. Hey, Elizabeth, Daddy said. You know what the bug said right before he hit this car? No, it takes guts to do this. Chapter 27, Miss Popular. I spent hours on the phone retelling the story of my road trip to my friends. I waited anxiously to hear from Miss Popular. It was several long days before she called me back. I was home with the children, and I scrambled for a quiet place to speak with her as I watched them play in the backyard. This could be it. I was so excited to see if she had the final puzzle piece. Thank you so much for taking this time to help me, I started to say as I felt the blood rush faster through my body. Well, don't thank me yet, Liz. I don't know if I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, I see. Now, I called my friend, but I wasn't just going to come out and ask her if she had a child all those years ago. I just knew that wasn't the way to approach her if we were going to get anywhere. Yes, of course, I can see that, I laughed nervously, waiting for her to get to the point. So I called her, and I told her I had gotten a phone call from the nicest young lady. This woman had been adopted, and she had narrowed it down to a woman about our age who might have gone to our school. I told her I didn't know anything about that, but I would ask around. So I thought to call her and see if she had heard a story like this one. Oh, that was good thinking, I said. What did she say? She said she had not. 
And honestly, Liz, I figured she probably would, but I'm hoping that she has an idea in her head now, and maybe she'll come around if she has time, you know, to get over the shock. This couldn't be easy for her. No, ma'am, I can't imagine it would. I felt the hit of another brick wall. I watched my daughter scaling the side of her swing set and hoped her little brother didn't get the same idea before I got off the phone. I didn't want to get off the phone. I wanted Miss Popularity's curiosity not to be sated so that she would do something else to help me, that she would call her again, try harder, do something. Liz, I did give her your name and your phone number. Please know I told her how kind and lovely you were. I told her that you said you would be very discreet about it. Oh, yes, I would. I agreed, hoping to make her help me more, just a tiny bit more. I'm still not comfortable sharing her name with you. Slam. I understand. I did not. But she has your name now. That might start something. It could, yes. I know, I said defeated. It won't. Well, thank you for trying, Mrs. Blank. I guess we'll wait and see. We will, darling. Why don't you stay in touch with me and let me know if anything happens? I'll be thinking about you. Please know I will. Of course. You've done all you could. I'll keep on looking. Goodbye. Wait, she said. Could I ask you a quick question? Could you tell me what color eyes you have? I perked up. She was giving me something. They are blue. Light blue. Does she have blue eyes? Only the most beautiful blue eyes I'd ever seen, she said. Beautiful blue eyes. A glimmer of hope. Her hunch was right. I began to think every day that this could be it. She might come around. The phone could ring today. The phone did not ring. And little did I know that I had spoken with my birth mother's high school best friend. One of two best friends. They called themselves the Three Amigos. (laughs) So much for secrets. This amigo did not hesitate to call one person. My mother now had the advantage. She knew my name. She was prepared.